I'm Allie. And I'm Gabby. And we're real life sober BFFs exploring spirituality, social issues, all things sobriety, and staying present in a world full of distractions. Come join us on this journey. We've been waiting for you. about today's episode you may hear content that may not be suitable for work or for children so be sure to pop in some headphones if you're in the office and listen when the kids aren't around hello soul sisters brothers fellow sober warriors the sober curious if you're listening in a special hello to you um, all of our friends in our community at Sober BFF, this is Allison. Um, I'm coming to you on my first solo episode to kind of share with you a little bit more about me. I don't know about you guys, and this could go one of two ways. One, maybe my Sober BFF came across um, your device and you're listening in and you are up to date. You know, you're on episode you're trying us out, you're seeing what you're doing, and you, I want to say thank you. And I also want to let you know that we want to hear from you. Um, we want to know what you think. We want to know what you think we should be talking about. We want to know who you think we should be talking to. Um, this entire podcast is truly not just about variety. Um, while it is Gabby and I who are two real-life sober BFFs, whole lot of history. Um, we are touching on things like um, spirituality, social issues, you know, and all the beautiful things that come along with sobriety, which um, honestly are so much more than that. So if there's anything you want to hear us talk about, if you have any feedback, good, or maybe we have some opportunities, please don't hesitate. Reach out to us um, because a lot like life, this um, podcast is ever becoming. Um, and the more feedback we get from you, um, the better we can serve. So if you're listening in um, and, and you're that you're one of the OGs, thank you. Stick around. We have a lot of great things coming down the pipeline. And we'd love to talk more about what you want to talk about or hear about. Um, number two, if you're like me and you find a podcast and you're obsessed with it and you want to know more about the host and you want to see the beginning stages, maybe you scroll down and this is in time right now and you scroll down and you're listening to the first few episodes. This um, is definitely going to give you an insider look um, on, on myself, my journey as of right now. In the episode before this, I highly recommend you listen to Gabby's episode as well. She's sharing more um, about, about her journey as well. But this is kind of um, just a little background behind the scenes because you want to know who um, you're talking to and when you re- or who you're listening to. And when we can kind of share more about our background and who we are as people, in our stories that kind of gives you a better idea to either one, understand our perception, um, or two, maybe, you know, you're sober, sober curious right now, or you're going through a rough time, two, like, or, or whatever, or another stage in your sobriety, whatever, spirituality, um, to know that there's people out there that have also gone through it. Um, 
um, that that have also to you know um, expanded um, and I don't want to say become better but have also been on a journey similar to yours and maybe this can help you expand um, and just know like please reach out to us if you need anything as well um, and if you are listening to this down the line I certainly hope that I've gotten a little bit better when it comes to recording but hey you know we all start somewhere um, so anyways, before we get into this, I want to let you know that I pulled a card because this is going to be a very vulnerable episode. And so I pulled a card from my uh, Keepers of Light Oracle deck, which is a beautiful deck um, that kind of has a whole bunch of angels and, um, you know, different light um, light workers within it, just to kind of help you know who, who to connect with or who's around you you know, for guidance um, and love. And so I decided to pull from this deck, particularly because like I said, it's a rough episode. I, I wouldn't say rough, but this very vulnerable. And I pulled the Shekinah and underneath of it, it says sacred self. And just a little background on the Shekinah, she is known to be the twin flame of the Holy Spirit and kind of the feminine voice of the God. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole background of it, but what I thought was most interesting and something that I would love for you to sit with or think about, you know, today and maybe in the coming weeks or, you know, coming days, um, it says, unleash your spirit, express your gifts, dance to the sacred rhythm of life. And I just thought that was really incredible to pull that card as and getting ready, you know, to be so vulnerable and talk about this and knowing in my heart, the reason why we started the My Sober BFF project initially as a podcast and down the road, we have some, a few other ideas, um, truly is to empower others um, through our own vulnerability and through, and to empower others to explore themselves, to love themselves. And so for that card to come up, um, I just want to let you know that you um, should express your gifts and um, don't forget to dance to the figure rhythm of your life that you're enough. Um, okay, so um, a little bit about me too, just to let you know on the forefront, my sober anniversary is January 28th, 2018. As of recording this, I'm just a little over two years sober. Um, so I am a sobriety toddler um, and I just can't believe all the miracles that have happened in my life um, in so many different ways um, since becoming sober. Um, but I want to be really transparent today, not so much about maybe my drinking career, um, all of it, uh, but just kind of the revelations that I've had and who I am as a person and, and what I've seen change. Um, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of background, um, and hopefully this will give you some insight on, as, like I said, um, into who I am as a person, but also um, the miracles that can happen in our life when we kind of surrender to ourselves and surrender, you know, to the love of source or the universe or whatever, um, or you just love ourselves. Um, so yeah, I'm going to get started. Um, 
Like I said, I'm about two years sober. Um, I am a mother to a eight and a half year old and a baby, Tegan. He's amazing. Um, but to be honest with you, I started drinking around, I would say 15. Um, and what happened was I moved from Cleveland, Ohio to a really small um, town, just a little bit north of the same limit. I moved from my dad's job like in the middle of my sophomore year. And it was a bit crazy um, moving. It was much of a, it was a culture shock coming from like such a large suburb to a really small town. I think there were probably like 5,000. I, I know there are like 5,000 people there like counting the prisons. Okay, I graduated like 80 people in my class. And um, moving in the middle of the year was rough. And then also moving to a completely different was also rough for me um and there was just a lot of unrest in my house um looking back it wasn't granted at that time I was a teenager um and like I thought the whole world revolved around me you know and um I just couldn't believe it that this had happened I was a victim the the move was just only affecting me um in in my eyes and so um looking back we were all kind of affected by this crazy culture shock of a move in many different ways um not just me but my my both of my parents and you know I also have two younger siblings and we were all just kind of getting our asses kicked by in by life and dealing with life in our own ways um but for me, that transferred into my perception that I was on this island and it was all happening to me, you know, how it goes. And I just so badly wanted to be liked um, and, and, and feel safe. And at that time, I didn't. And, and so I found some friends and, and they're like, the, it's such a small place. It's such a small farming community, and it's absolutely beautiful there. Um, beautiful landscape, and and just like they're really really great people. But at that time, I couldn't really appreciate it, and we're all kind of going through it. Um, you know, the the woes of teenage, uh, of being a teenager. And um, so I just I met friends and. There, the things that they did for fun were, was drinking. It was like you would drive around on gravel roads and drink. You would go to bonfires in the middle of farmland and drink. Like every single fun aspect, I mean, even including prom or, you know, basketball games included drinking. And so I quickly started drinking as well. And I, it was at least my perception that it wasn't just drinking. It was like the goal was to black out, brown out, you know, get fucked up. And so that was the point for me. Like it wasn't just, you know, having a couple of drinks, you know, uh, getting a little bit fuzzy or, you know, relaxed or whatever. You know, like the whole point for, for me at that time um, was getting fucked up. And so that's important because that was in my formative years. That was my first time around alcohol. I couldn't see it as anything else. Um, 
And so that's kind of what me and my friends did. Um, and, and just, it was, it was a rough situation. Obviously, like I said, I was going through all of this change and then adding fuel to the fire, drinking one. So like sometimes so many nights a week because I couldn't be controlled by my family because I was so angry at them. Um, I would just drink and then obviously alcohol is a depressant. So I dealt with a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, and I was almost self-medicating, but also the alcohol um, had the effects of depression as well. So who, who's really to say what came first, the chicken or the egg, but you know, it got pretty serious. I, when it came to my depression, um, I almost didn't graduate high school because I would just never go to school. Um, I couldn't deal with, I always struggled with my self-worth. Um, and so since my self-worth was shaky, um, when things would kind of happen at school, whether it was gossip, whether it was drama inside my friend circles or friends being mad at you, all the trivial things of teenagehood, right? To me, that would rock my whole world because it was my little paper thin foundation. So when that would happen, I just couldn't face reality. Um, and so I would just sleep and I would just tell my mom, I can't, I can't go to school. And I would just sleep and sleep. I mean, I could sleep for days and, um, yeah, I just never really got, got help. And it was, it was pretty dark, but you know, I, I would still go out and drink. I would still hang out. Um, it was, it was just a vicious cycle. And so I never really dealt with that. And I never really dealt with my drinking and, you know, like my whole life, that was what I did for fun. I mean, I played volleyball in high school and a bit in college and, but that hobby um, or sport or responsibility, if it got in the way of my drinking or having fun, because that's what I believed was how I connected with people, then I would burn it to the ground. And so I, you know, stopped playing volleyball in college because of it. And um, it, I just continued on that path um, of just looking for validation, of, of yearning for connection. And the only way I thought I could do that was via drinking. So once I got into college years and young adult years, I continued to drink and um, it wasn't, I was a binge drinker. So I would drink for socialization, but then the other aspect of it was that I would drink to get drunk um, because that's what I thought the whole point of it was, you know, and, and so it was, it was rough, you know, um, I, I continued to kind of like drink, drink um, through, like I said, my, my young adult years. Um, I'd gotten a DWI when I was super young. I um, had left, left a party, got dropped off at my car, um, had realized that I was too drunk to drive, um, drove, like had just drove like maybe like 200 feet, pulled over, my car was running, I got a DWI. And at that point, what was really interesting for me was that logic um, that I had during those times where I was like, oh, well, it was because, you know, I shouldn't have had my car running. And, and really, honestly, I just never looked at, you know, 
alcohol being the issue of so many of my problems. Alcohol was my best friend because I always felt like I was a victim of life. I always was unable to take responsibility for my life. Um, and I was just a victim of circumstances. Um, and so it kind of just continued. What was really interesting about me though, like I said, was I was a binge drinker. So like I was still a super high performer. Um, and I, not to toot my own horn, um, but I've always been a really likable person. I've always had a really great personality. I've always had a knack for connecting with people and, and also just a hard worker that had never really affected my professional life early on. Like I, I was always able to get these jobs. And I know Gabby talked about this as well. Um, in her episode, I was always able to get these jobs or, or professions that I probably necessarily shouldn't have had, but it was because of my per uh, personality and promise and just my hard work ethic that because alcohol didn't really affect those things um, that I could see at that time in my perception, like I never really expected it or I never really thought of it to be a problem for me. Um, I always struggled with for a really long time wanting connection with people and wanting to just, I've always wanted like that close foundation of, of relationships and friendships and soul friends. Um, and I did struggle with, you know, trying to find that, but I never looked at, you know, the elephant in the room that was really alcohol for me. Like granted, um, if you listen to our first episode, Gabby and I were, you know, drinking buddies, drinking friends, but for some reason the universe brought us together and we always had that soul connection, even though it, it was pretty foggy, you know, at the time of us drinking the way that our, our relationship kind of came through, um, and continue to blossom was really interesting and unlike any other friendship I had had. And so I kind of always blamed it on the other people instead of thinking like, well, you keep trying to make friends when you're drinking friends, like those people probably don't have the same values or, or aren't wanting to, or also not just that, but your ability to connect and build long lasting friendships and be the person that you are deep down is completely impossible when you're getting drunk and like Jekyll and hiding it because that's who I was. I was a Jekyll and Hyde. Um, the person that I was when I was sober was this caring, bright, um, loving, hardworking, intelligent human being. Um, who was really sharp. Um, and then the person that I drank, when I drank would just like be sloppy and rude and hateful and not just that, but just not just dependable. And so like, it was basically, you know, like the iceberg, the on top was all of the things that I, I was when I wasn't drinking. And then on bottom, it just continued to grow um, as I continued my drinking career. And it would get bigger and bigger. And in the bottom part ended up becoming so much bigger than, than the top part, you know, 
you can only for so long like see somebody's really great qualities and then see and then see their really bad qualities and and sit there and, and be like well the good kind of outweighs the bad or this person shows me who she is and that's kind of what I was and I, I lost a lot of really great friendships um, because I I was so irresponsible um, and didn't wasn't able to hold myself accountable or be responsible for my actions. And, you know, I'm still cleaning up that mess um, and, and and reaching out to those people and making amends on my own time. Um, but yeah, it, it was really interesting. So then I like had my son um, and I had, that was like kind of out of a drinking relationship. And, um, you know, that, that kind of fizzled out and that's a story for kind of another time. Um, but fast forward, I had my son when I was about like 22, 23. And, um, after I had him, I realized that my drinking, like that was when like the feeling in my heart. Okay. Like not even my heart in like my solar plexus, in my gut, in my soul, that drinking and me didn't mix. And I always kind of had that from the moment I was 15, you know, and drinking and getting drunk. And I was like, this isn't for me. Like these friendships, these type of friendships, not the people, but the type of friendships I had, I knew they weren't for me. And, um, but I, that yearning to be liked, that yearning to be loved, like always overpowered that feeling in the pit of my stomach. And then once I had this beautiful miracle, um, my best friend, my son, um, sorry. Um, once I had him and I had this love, even though I didn't, didn't quite yet love myself. I didn't quite yet think I was worthy. Um, but I saw how capable I was and I started to see who I was as a person. I knew that drinking every time I drank, it just, it just didn't match up for me. It wasn't a hangover even. It was just like this gut feeling that I I can't necessarily describe, but I've talked to other women um, that are either sober curious um, or sober. Um, and they know what I'm talking about. And it would be just be deep in my soul to where it felt like it was an aligning that kind of started to happen. And I was just confused because that had been my way of having fun. That had been my way of coping that have been my way of celebrating, you know, for years and for this to kind of happen for almost a decade, for this to kind of happen, it just didn't make sense. Um, we as humans don't really like change, especially scary change. And that's what it kind of was for me. And so I knew I didn't want to do it, but that didn't stop me from doing it. Um, there was a cognitive dis dissonance that like, this is bad for me. This doesn't align with who I am as a person. Um, but I didn't have like the tools um, or the self-love to kind of navigate it. Um, and then come to when my son was like about five years old, a little bit less than five, I had met um, a man that, you know, I really cared about and just up to and just thought was just a fabulous soul and, and kind of wanted to be, I wanted to be with him. Like, and I really knew like he kind of inspired me to continue to grow, to like 
only put my first my my best foot forward and also deal with that not great foot if you will um and so in that way like he held me accountable like when i would that that same way where i was like jekyll and hiding he held me accountable for like the high if the hide is like the bad one but you get what i'm saying like he held me accountable in a way that was like loving but also like yo shit doesn't match up what are you doing like who are you and um and and that's like that even more like he held that mirror up for me and before like for the few years before that i would i would hold up the mirror and i would see it and i would get scared and i would throw it you know and i, I would run away from it and i still continued you know to do it and and have those thoughts of depression where i couldn't get out of bed and i couldn't function and i didn't know why and and uh you know, I, I would deal with it and I would be like, okay, yeah, this is the problem that would be too scared to handle the problem. So throw the mirror and I would be like, that's not really the problem. Drinking's not the problem. It's me. And like, oh, I screwed up that one time, even though that one time was a thousand times, you know, the, the typical drinking, um, cycle, a toxic cycle. And, but I met this man and he would hold up that mirror and he wouldn't put it down and he wouldn't hold it up in a way that made me feel like he thought I was shit. He would hold it up and hold that mirror up strong and not take it away and then ask me to describe it, if that makes sense. And so great, thankfully, you know, like I, I wanted that relationship a lot. But it wasn't just that relationship. I wanted that person that I knew I was deep down um, for that relationship, for my son, you know, for it all. And he was kind of a mirror to show me what I could be. And so we were dating and, and you know, it, my drinking just was rough. Like I wouldn't drink all the time. And every time I drank wouldn't be a train wreck. But the few times that the train wreck stuff would happen, I mean, it wasn't just train wrecks, dude. Like it was a shut down all the channels, um, everything and global news report type of disaster. And I would embarrass myself. I would just do this crazy stuff. And it was just all of like the closeness and the vulnerability and, and where we would get, I would destroy it in, you know, one night of drinking and it just got to be gross. And so I'll never forget, we were on a, the first step, my first try at sobriety um, was in September, 2017. And um, myself, um, my partner and um, two of our closest friends, um, went on a, you know, Labor Day boothcation. I wouldn't say it was a boothcation, but we definitely like to enjoy our booth. And we went to Charleston, South Carolina. And I, at that point, I told myself I had to moderate. And I had already tried moderating for so many times. But at that point, I was like, it's now or never. Like, I'm going to lose this relationship. I'm just losing myself. Like, I have to moderate. So I bought, we arrived there, I, um, we dropped all our stuff at, off at an Airbnb, we went to this hot, um, you know, liquor store, and I bought, I think, two or three bottles of wine, 
and it was supposed to last me the whole week, uh, the whole weekend. It was like a long weekend. And I said to my boyfriend, like, I'm only going to have two glasses of wine a day. And he was like, okay, cool. And in the thing that I just loved and appreciated about, um, his partnership so much was he, he allowed me to like do my own thing and learn my own lessons, but also hold me accountable, accountable for it. Because before I could just weasel my way out of any relationship and make an excuse or, or put something under a rug, um, and continue on my same path. Him, he would let me make the mistake, but then he also wouldn't let me brush it under the rug. So he was like, okay, if that's what you want to do. And so the very first night, um, I finished all that wine. Um, and we were playing drinking games. I finished all the wine that was supposed to be for the whole weekend and then proceeded to go out. Um, and I just remember waking up and not knowing kind of where I was and then like feeling like the bed because like if I would black out, um, very, very hard, like I would keep that. And that's very embarrassing, but it's true and it happens. And so I remember feeling the bed and I remember saying to myself, oh good, you didn't pee the bed. And then I immediately was like, by the grace of God, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I like jumped, I was like, that's, that's what makes this okay. Like you don't remember anything. Like I didn't remember anything at all. And I was like, you're crazy. So I got up and I did what any normal person would do. And I got on Facebook and there was a woman that I was kind of stalking and kind of connecting with. I had had a couple of like a couple of conversations about sobriety um, with, and I just reached out to her and I was like, I had a really bad night. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do this anymore. And this woman, um, Trish is her name. She was like, I know what to do. Where are you at? What's the address? You're going to an AA. And so I got up, I was hungover, I walked into an AA meeting and it changed my life. And that weekend um, with those people, if anyone in Charleston or knows anyone in, in that AA community in Charleston, um, those people changed my life. Those people gave me hope and love and empowered me to consider that I was enough. And um, I spent that whole weekend almost in this detox, um, like like what, what would be considered almost a detox center or rehabilitation because I was so far away from my regular life, right? That I just dove into these people, these strangers, this strange place. Like I didn't have to face anything. And you know, one of them warned me about that. She was like, this is easy now, but it will get rough when you get home. And I didn't want to believe it. Um, but that first, I'll never forget that first meeting. Um, this man handed me, he was celebrating 17 years and he handed me, uh, his, one of his big books. He said, you can have this because they made me talk. Um, just letting you know, if you are sober curious, like they don't technically, like they don't make you talk. Um, but I definitely think the, the leader of that meeting could see the, like the need for me to be taught uh, to, to speak and be validated. And he called on me and I spoke and 
he handed me his big book and I can't remember because I, I do not, I'm not a part of the AA community. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but he was like the, we work out of like the first 140, 180, maybe 160 pages, whatever. Like the first part of the book is like all the works and the steps and, and whatever. And then like the last part of the book are all the stories, um, you know, to help you expand. And so he, he told me about the first part of the book and he gave it to me like this, is my gift to you. And, um, I, I went home and, or I went back to our Airbnb and we went to the beach and I read all 160 or 80 pages of that. And like, I have my journal and I was doing what I thought I should do. And I was Googling like step work and, and, you know, by the end of the day, I got all of that done and it was like 160 pages. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. All right. I went through all my, like I went in the next day. I was so freaking proud. I mean, like my chest was huge. And I like walked up to the girl and I was like, guess what? I did everything. I did all of my steps. I read the whole book. I feel great. Like, I know I don't have a problem. Like I am healed. And the girl just looked at me and she was like, oh my God, girl. <laughs> She's like, that's not how it works. And I was like, what? Like, I did it all. I get it. It's like there, like I'm good. And she was like, no, not exactly. And, you know, I, I went back. That's not how it works. Like you don't just heal overnight and do all the work overnight. Like, honestly, as uh, my boyfriend, Nako says, not my real boyfriend, but my soul soul boyfriend, Nako says the work is never done. And so left Charleston and I just had a really big disconnection with AA going forward in the area that I was in. And it was just hard for me because I would go to the meetings. I did what they said, you know, hundred meetings and hundred days, et cetera. And I just, for me at that time, it felt like there were so many rules and just this obsessiveness of knowing that you knowing your monster, knowing every different aspect of your monster and talking it through and knowing what you are not. And that was all my perception, knowing that you're not normal, knowing that you're not a normal drinker. And that's how it's all coming on for me that it just didn't click for me. And I, I love the fellowship. I love the community, but it just wasn't for me because all of those things that like they were talking about, like the rules, the obsessiveness of knowing your monster, like the, the not being normal, not being enough. It was my perception were all the reasons I drank in the first place, you know? And, and so it didn't really add up for me, but I continued to go. You know, there was never a point where I didn't go. I made some really great friends. And I did have some breakthroughs where I started to, like, truly love myself and feel myself out. Um, but I, you know, I knew it, it gave me this belief and this expansion that life was more without food. And I knew that I didn't necessarily want to have it. But I still spent each and every night, so the first 100 days, um, praying, going to bed, laying my head on the pillow, praying that I could be a normal drinker, praying that I could just have one, praying that I could just have two, praying I could be in the social, like just feeling like continue, continuing to throw shit into that gaping hole of where I didn't feel like I was 
And now I want to be very clear that nobody in the AA organization or what AA does um, makes anyone feel like that. That was my perception. I love and respect AA. It just um, hasn't been for me. And we'll get to that. But like, that's just was my perception at the time. And um, so, yeah, I, I ended up, I had made it to a hundred days. I did my hundred meetings in a hundred days. And I just, I ended up like trying to drink again because my mindset was, well, if I could do a hundred days, if I could control it for control, not having it for a hundred days, certainly I could control, you know, how much I have in one day. And so I drank about six times and it just, like the first couple of times I was able to control it. And then it just went right back to where I was on that uh, Charleston weekend. And um, the last time I drank, which was January 27, 2018, it was just an embarrassment um, for me. And it was just my rock bottom. And it, it was that shadow. It was that iceberg rearing its head and that bottom of the iceberg rearing its head for me. And when I was like, thankfully, I just was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I was running the risk of losing my partner again. But like, also, I finally was like, no, like, I don't want to do it the way that I was before. I don't want to force myself uh, necessarily not drink um, because that doesn't obviously didn't stick. But I also don't want to drink because I don't believe the bottom of this iceberg to be true about me. Um, I feel like their actions and their bad habits and their, their low functioning behaviors, but I don't believe them to be true. I believe I'm worthy. Um, and I believe I'm enough and, but I got to figure this out. And so that very next day, um, I decided to do, you know, I, I still went to a few meetings, but it just was not for me. Um, like I said, because I felt really confined, um, and I was just yearning for freedom and connection. And so I, I picked up, I reread the gifts of imperfection in that by Brene Brown. I highly recommend, um, anyone reading that book. Um, I recommend it to women, um, and men all the time because it's just such an empowering book. Um, any of her, her books are great, but I read that book and then I read, um, this naked mind by Annie Grace. And Annie, um, hopefully we'll have you on the podcast sometime. Um, you, I, I know alone, um, the people that I've recommended your book to, um, so many lives that you've changed, um, and you definitely changed mine. And reading that book for me took the emotion out of it and really helped me understand, um, my addiction and not even addiction, but my relationship with alcohol and seeing alcohol for what it was. And, um, that's when it made me, there was a shift, um, at that moment where I said to myself, um, I don't need to have alcohol. Um, I don't need to, I don't need to worry about alcohol. Um, there was a saying, and, and looking back now at two years, there was a saying in AA where it was like, we're powerless, over, or we're powerless to alcohol. 
or over alcohol. And I never really liked that because in my little alcoholic brain, um, it made me just like not feel like enough. And I, I really started this mantra, like I'm so powerful. I don't need alcohol. I don't need anything outside, you know, of, of myself to become more of myself to, you know, um, to function. And, and that was kind of that shift in that moment where I started saying, I'm so powerful. I don't need alcohol. That really had ignited my entire, um, journey. Um, I can tell you, I've had some really rough times, um, in, in my sober journey, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay. Yeah. We're here and we're going to talk to you about the joys and the miracles and the everything of, of sobriety. But I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why those joys are real and the reason why those miracles are so good, because we're dealing with the hard shit head on. We're dealing with it naked or soul out, you know, no armor and, and having to go through it, having to fight the demons, having to feel the emotion. That's what makes the miracles. That's what makes the, um, changes in our life, the connections in our life so much more, but it doesn't mean that sobriety isn't hard. Um, and so I, after reading that book and continuing to read it and, and really um, focusing on my, my own journey and who I was in, in my self-love journey, because I can tell you right now, um, my drinking was a symptom of my lack of self-worth. My, my drinking was a symptom of not feeling enough. My drinking, I would I would pour that alcohol down my throat, trying to fill myself up. And honestly, it would just burn me out more. So I had this gaping hole. Um, and, and, um, and so sobriety for me, um, has been this journey of going, uh, of stopping, of hitting pause. Um, and going through the bags that I'm carrying and, and deciding and leaning it out. What do I need to take with me and what do I need to, to release? Um, and not just that, what tools am I missing that I need to go, to, you know, to the post and buy, if you will. And, um, that's kind of what it's been for me. Um, because to me, sobriety, like, Actually, like prior to me, the reason why I started to feel that hole in my stomach, I feel is because I was working on like so much professional and personal development and so much working on myself and becoming myself and trying to love myself and like doing all the surface work, but not really d diving deep into it. That like it was alcohol was like everything kept pointing as I was doing that work, everything kept pointing at, at the huge elephant in the room, the alcohol, like, okay, you do love yourself, but you would love yourself more if you didn't have the alcohol to really deal with all the hard stuff. And so I'm going through this professional or this personal development journey and trying to understand spirituality. And, and while I totally 
am not a religious person um, at all. I was like yearning for connection and spirituality and everything, but I couldn't cognitively understand it all when I was, you know, still drinking. So when I would drink, it would be like, whoa, Allie, you're off base, you're off base, you're off base. And I couldn't really face that I was off base because drinking was putting me out of alignment. Okay. And so when I really dove into sobriety um, in, in January of 20, 2018, that's when I realized that it was so much more than not, than not having the bottle, you know, than not having the buzz. To me, sobriety is freedom and enoughness and the work and becoming myself and um, letting go of the layers and the baggage um, and releasing you know, the limiting beliefs and the low functioning behaviors, you know, sobriety to me is honoring me. And, um, yeah, so it's really been a crazy journey as I, as I really went into sobriety and like trying to figure out, like knowing that mantra, like I am powerful. I am powerful. I am, I'm so powerful. I don't need alcohol. It was that first step of Ali, I love you and you're enough. And it was so beautiful for me. Um, and it's been beautiful. It's been a lot of healing, you know, um, in, in a lot of, you know, honest work. Um, but it's been worth it. So, um, you know, the idea of my sober BFF has kind of been something that Gabby and I have been talking about for a while. Um, and it's so interesting because prior to her getting sober, I was talking about something similar and it just didn't feel right. Okay. And, and then she, she got sober, um, on her own. And I just never, I'm so proud of her and, and the woman that she's become. And I'm just so grateful for this odd, um, bond that we have. Um, and so my sober BFF was kind of birthed recently and it's just these beautiful ideas that she had and that I had. And both, I, all of those ideas were so wonderful, but they weren't taking off. And now in reflection, they weren't taking off because they were meant to come together um, and, and be my sober Biafa. Um, and so I'm just really looking forward to the community that we're going to build and the people that we're connecting with and the topics that we're going to talk about on this podcast and um, just connecting with you, um, the listener. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, I just want to let you know that if you listen this far, um, if you're struggling, you know, um, in early sobriety, or if you're struggling, um, uh, you know, to, to get to the next level in your sobriety, you know, because really life is a wheel. Um, and sobriety just helps us see each part of the wheel clear, you know, it doesn't mean that the wheel suddenly, you know, works and is round and inflated. Sobriety just helps us stop freaking putting gashes in this wheel, right? And so if you're struggling, you know, in any, you know, like part of your own sobriety, maybe to get to the next level or in some aspect, or, you know, maybe you're just, you're normal. Okay, like you're normal, you aren't sober curious, you're a normal drinker, you don't have issues. I want to let you know, like the whole point of this podcast 
isn't to try to force anyone to become sober. It isn't trying to, you know, talk to anybody um, uh, about changing themselves in any type of way. Um, that is not the intention of this podcast. That is not the intention of this brand. This brand's sole intention, at least the way that I envision it, and I believe that Gabby would speak the same, this whole idea of my sober BFF is to empower men and women to know that they don't need to change, that you, who you are, you are perfect. And so whether that means like I, I am an advocate for sobriety because I believe that that helps us elevate spiritually. I believe that helps us um, deepen connections um, and connect more vulnerably um, and get, get the work done. But I just want to let you know, like, you don't need to change. You as yourself, you are enough in your soul. Um, and, and I just encourage you to kind of believe in yourself as you're on this journey and love yourself and know that you're enough deep down and know that you are powerful. And, um, I just want to let you know, like this, this podcast isn't about, um, telling people what's the right way, what's the wrong way. This podcast is truly about sharing, um, about so many different aspects of spirituality, social issues, um, sobriety, and just life in general. Um, to, to give people insight and tools and expansion um, to further your journey um, because you are great and you are loved. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate you holding space with me today. If, you, if there's anything that I haven't touched on, um, I did skip over a, a bit of um, parts of my story um, for issues that I'll share later on. But if there's anything more that you want to know about me, um, or Gabby, or about the podcast, or you want to hear us speak about, please, please, please um, reach out to us. If you found any part of this um, episode um, moving or expanding or, you know, empowering or anything, please, um, you're the reason why we're here. So I would love it. As I said before, there are books and there are people that have changed my life. Um, if you feel moved, I would love it for you to share, um, share with somebody you love or someone you think needs to hear it. Um, because we're all kind of here on our own journeys, helping each other along. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the recommendations that have been given to me and, um, the books that have been passed on to me because they really have changed the course of my life. Um, and so don't hesitate, you know, to change, to, to reach out and share with others. Um, to change, you know, the course of their life or maybe their thought process. So anyways, I hope you have a great day. Um, once again, do not forget to dance to the sacred rhythm of your life. We will be talking to you soon. Have a wonderful, amazing, beautiful, expanding day of miracles. See you later. Pam 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 p